0: of July weekend it's crazy that it's fourth of July already yeah. um, and it feels a little bit like a reunion today you know we've got a lot of people that I was in the campus ministry with back in town and and I am uh, so excited just to be here with you all uh, like James said my name is Sean. Uh, my wife and I Lacey live down in Huntington West Virginia if New, if New Jersey is the armpit of the US Huntington is the armpit of West Virginia so it's a very familiar place to me. <laughs> and we are just so excited to be back visiting with you today. And I am doubly excited to be able to kick off this new series on First John today. You know, I recently studied this out in, in my personal times of, of studying the Bible. And it was just really refreshing. It was really refreshing to read and, and understand more what John was communicating to the church there. So I hope that this study can do the same for you. And so before we dive in, let's pray. Dear Father God, Dad, thank you so much for just this opportunity to be together. God, it is such a privilege to gather, to be able to gather in, in a building together, to be able to gather without persecution, without fear of, of what is going to happen to us, God. And I, I pray that you'll really speak to our hearts today. God, I pray that your spirit will move and convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. God, that you will help us to understand what you're saying through your Apostle John. And and I pray that we can take this and apply it in our lives. God, I love you so much. I pray all these things according to your will. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be over in 1 John 1. Not John 1, but 1 John 1. A little different. And we are going to read the whole chapter. because It's about 10 verses. So over in 1 John 1, starting in verse 1. you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ we write this to make our joy complete this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you god is light in him there is no darkness at all if we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness we lie and do not live by the truth But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. So I have two points today. First is Gnostics in our midst, and the second is fellowship of the Lord. And so point number one, Gnostics in our midst. You know, First John is written in part to combat Gnosticism, which is a big word, kind of scary. But Gnostic teachings, the, these teachings have begun to infiltrate the church. And so Gnosticism is a collection of, of pseudo-Jewish and, and Christian ideas that all kind of came together in the late first century. You know, explaining Gnosticism is a little bit like explaining denominations to a non-Christian. Like, well, they're, they're Catholics, but they believe something different than Protestants, but Protestants, there are a bunch of that. It, it just gets really confusing. I had to do it the other day, and I was like, I, I actually don't know all of the things, so Google it. I don't know, right? And so there's a ton of variation in Gnostic beliefs. But generally, they believe that the God of the Bible is not the ultimate being in the universe and that everything he created is bad, that everything that is material is sinful. You see how that kind of doesn't really line up with what the Bible says, right? And so Gnostics believe that to fix this, Jesus comes in spirit form to show us the path to salvation, And so the two crucial beliefs they had that were that that, the two crucial beliefs they had were that Jesus didn't exist in physical form, and that the way to salvation was through gaining knowledge. So what that meant was that it didn't matter what you did; it mattered what you knew. And so what you what you know is more important than what you do, meaning that sin it up, do whatever you want. It's a complete release of any expectation of holiness. And so what does John say to this church? And as he's writing, he starts by saying, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. He says, Jesus did exist, you Gnostics. I know because I was there. I touched his hands. I saw him. I talked to him. Have you ever had somebody try and tell you a story about something that you actually experienced? Yeah. Right. Somebody starts telling you, you're like, no, no, no I was there. I know. I know the story. I, I was. I was there next to you. I experienced it. Right. It can be a little inf- infuriating, right? I had this happen the other day. I told a story about. So in the 80s. The Iranians were working on their nuclear uh, power program. They are building the nuclear reactor. The U.S., part of their tactics to thwart this was they put a bug in an email that would make a centrifuge spin a little too fast and would destroy everything. They sent this email out to everybody. Everybody got this email, and it slowly worked its way back to the computer that ran the specific centrifuge and ruined it. So I, I told this story in Huntington, and shortly after that, I was talking to a brother a couple days later, and he starts telling me the story that I told him two days ago. And I wasn't that upset because he actually told it right; he thought, like told the right version. But I imagine if if he was like, "Yeah, they went in and you know they sent special like the special ops in and they did all," you're like, "No, I told you that story. I know what the truth is. Right? That's what's happening here." The Gnostics are coming in and they're saying, "Oh, Jesus didn't really exist. He he was—he was just—he was in spirit form." John's like, "No, I was there. I experienced it." Right? Right? They're telling a completely different story. Even worse, they're downplaying the impact of sin. John has to say, "If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us." He has to say that because people are claiming to be without sin, right? The Gnostics are telling people it's fine to sin because it's really about what you know. If you know God, you're good, right? God doesn't care about what you do. Your physical body is sinful anyways. Anything that you do is sinful. So just sin it up. And here's the thing. They're not saying this out in like the marketplace or, you know, it's not like they're like hanging out on the street corner and like, You know, sketchy alleys or something, and like peddling this Gnostic gospel. This is happening in the church. These people are showing up on Sunday, and whoever's preaching is up there going, You need to be holy. You need to be righteous. And the Gnostics are in the back row going, That's not true. Uh uh. That's not real. Think about that. The Gnostics are reading their Bible, they're praying, they're showing up to church on Sunday and they're leading people astray. Can you relate to that? You know, the the church has been through a lot. We've been inundated with all sorts of groups that are trying to pull us apart, trying to distract us from the truth and the reality of who Jesus is. You know, we can end up in some pretty funky places if we're not careful. Research from the American Bible Society showed that spiritual impact has dropped significantly in the past two years. So what that is, they measured it through two things, feeling connected to God and how reading the Bible has influenced their behaviors towards others. And so this, this is a study that they do every year. They've done it for the past decade. Um, and it's called the State of the Bible if you wanna go look it up. Um, and they actually dedicate an entire chapter in 2022 to this specific thing because this trend alarmed them so much that they said, we have to have the wrong data. They said, we we must have messed up somewhere. So they reran their data, they looked at their collection methods, uh, because it, it really was a full audit of everything that they were doing, trying to figure out how did we mess up. And what they came to was, no, this is real. And so what does spiritual impact mean? It means the percentage of people who read their Bible and apply it to their lives. So they've noticed over the past two years this sharp decrease in the amount of people who read their Bible and then actually go live it. So we have to ask ourselves, how are your times with God? I'm all for reading the Bible, but if we don't actually listen to it, it doesn't matter. right? Are your times with God transforming your life? Put in a different way, Have you stopped watching your life and your doctrine? Um, You know, we live in a society that wants to define sin as whatever you want it to be. Right? As long as you don't hurt people, it's fine. You can do whatever you want, but the second that it hurts somebody, don't touch it, right? Do whatever drug you want, avoid whatever issue you want, sleep with whoever you want. God doesn't care what you do. Do you see the Gnostic teachings? Yeah. Right? And so we have to ask ourselves, have you rede- redefined what God says is sin? Over in James 4, verse 17 reads. We're getting there. James 4, verse 17 says. Whoop, that's five. Huh. Huh. Um, James 4, 17 says, Anyone then who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin. So I assume that nobody here is like, you know, going out partying, like getting, getting blitzed and getting them in bar fights, right? I'm going to assume that. You're welcome. <laughs> but I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we clothed in good deeds? Anyone? Who does not do the good they ought to, sins. Right? Who are you helping? To Harrison's point, who are you serving? The reality is you can come, you can read your Bible, you can come to church on Sunday, spend time with the body, all while being just like the Gnostics. Having a life that doesn't match up with your doctrine. And that brings me to my second point Fellowship of the Lord. So the word fellowship is mentioned four times in this chapter, it's like kind of a lot, right? There are only 10 verses. So when you hear that word, what do you think of? You hear the word fellowship, I think of two things, I think of the church, right? Oh, fellowshipping that church, I also think of Lord of the Rings, <laughs> Fellowship of the Ring, right? It's not a super common word, it's kind of like one of those churchy things, you're like, oh yeah, I was fellowshipping after church, so like what does that mean? You're like, uh, as a hanging out, I guess. Right? It's kind of like hanging out, but more spiritual. It's kind of like the rebrand. Right? The, the Greek word there is koinonia. In Acts 2, it's translated as in common. The disciples had everything in common. So fellowship means a sharing of your life. That as Christians, we share eternal life, but we also share our lives with each other. We meet up, we spend time together, right? We encourage one another, we pray with one another. I want you to think about for a little bit the premise of the fellowship of the ring. Why did they call it that? Again, it's not a super common word, so like, what? Whoever, like, Tolkien, yeah, that guy, right? He he was just like, ah, fellowship, that's a good word, sure, Right? The, the whole premise of the Fellowship of the Ring is that it's this random group of people who have never met before coming together and going on an adventure to somewhere they've never gone in order to do something that no one else thinks is possible. It's the premise of the movie, right? And then they have two sequels after. The reality is that doesn't work if these random people don't build relationships with each other. Right right? If Legolas leaves Gimli back, you know, he's like, ah, I I don't like him. We're going to ditch him. The movie's over. There's no more fellowship. They're like, well, I guess they all died, right? There's no story there. And that's what fellowship is. We're building relationships with people that we're going on an adventure with. You know, the reality is our culture is not wired for this at all, right? America's all about efficiency and productivity. That's what we want out of our times together. We want tangible results. It's like, show me the money, right? You want to spend an hour and you want to say like, oh, that person actually did what I said, right? I met up, we talked, like we, we have something that we can, can tangibly hold but relationships are inherently inefficient. I want you to think about all of the the people who you feel like have given you the best insights and wisdom, right? The people that Harrison was talking about. I thought about my grandfather. So I thought about my grandfather and Wawa. So that's actually very tangible and real for me. I I may actually get a chance to have Wawa with my grandfather, but, right? You think about all the, the people who have given you the most insight and wisdom, It's not like they walked up to you and said, this is what you need to know. And they rattle off three things and they're like, see ya. You spent hours, you spent days with them to get two nuggets of of wisdom that you're like, man, that transformed my life. Relationships are inherently inefficient. You can't truly get to know someone without tons of time together. And so, do you prioritize fellowship? You know, part of walking in the light is doing it together. Yeah. Walking in the light really isn't like a solo sport, you, you, you can't do it by yourself. You know, a strong conviction about fellowship is not the same as a strong conviction about meetings of the body. Fellowship is more than just church on Sunday and. and you know, midweeks. Hey Amen, go to those things. You should have a strong conviction about meanings of the body. But it's so much more than that. Yeah. Right? It's about sharing your life with people. You can't do that twice a week. You know, we have a, a couple in Huntington that we've been watching the Rocky movies together. So we've been we've been going over I had never seen all of them. I know. It's it's like that is sin in Philly, okay? Ooh. I hadn't watched them all, don't shoot me. But we were watching the Rocky movies, and it was such a, a great time. It wasn't something, it wasn't like a church-organized thing. It was just the, the two couples meeting up. We'd make some pizza. We'd watch some movies. We'd talk a little bit. But it was such a refreshing, joyful time yeah. to be able to watch a movie and then just talk about life. Yeah. They have two daughters, and, and we're like, they're like aunts and uncle. Like, that, that's what fellowship is. It's spending time together and and being together as we walk out our faith. You know, sure we hung out, like Rocky movies are not inherently spiritual, (laughs) right? But we asked, we we shared a meal together. We talked about the the real things of life, the pressures, like the, the challenging things, right? So how many times a week do you fellowship with another Christian? Again, amen, you should be at meetings of the body, right? Church, midweek, Bible talk, like the organized things of church. Be at them. (laughs) But how often do you see disciples outside of those times? Because if we're just hanging out at meetings of the body, we're setting a cap on the ability of fellowship to influence and affect our lives. Over in Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13, Starting in verse 12. It says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Intense start. It says, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Right? Reading this, the way that we protect our heart from getting hardened by sin's deceitfulness is encouragement. Encouraging one another daily. This is the only one another scripture in the Bible that has a time frame associated with it. All other one another scriptures are like one, love one another, greet one another, right? Bear with one another. This this one says daily. So how seriously do you take this scripture? Do you see the need to encourage and be encouraged every day and your spouse doesn't count you guys live together right find somebody else do we believe that do we believe that we need daily encouragement here's the thing scheduling conflicts physical distance and whatever you can think of right are absolutely real things but a heart that craves fellowship overcomes them all we have so many resources available to us, right? For these people to, for the author of Hebrews as he's writing to this church, for them to encourage one another daily, you know what they had to do? They had to go find each other. It's not like they could send a text and be like, hey man, what are you doing today? Like they had to know where, they, where each other lived. They had to go out of their way to go to their house and knock on their door and find them. That's a level of, like that's a level of effort that I don't have to put in. I can send a text. I can call somebody, right? I have the ability to drive, and can go drive and hang out with somebody. We have so many resources available to us. So as we come in for a landing, you know, John is calling the church here to cling to the truth and to cling to fellowship. And I want to leave you with one final thought: a tool that is meant to help us maintain our grip. John says in here, he says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we live, we lie and do not live out the truth. The, the word for darkness there is actually the, the same root word that is used for obscurity. Right? The picture John is painting there is the, the difference between walking in darkness and walking in light is like the difference between clear glass and frosted glass. Right? You can't see any detail behind frosted glass. All you see is a shadow. And so what he's talking about there is vulnerability. Being real. People being able to see clearly, this is who I am. This is what my life looks like. You know, vulnerability is scary and difficult. I am terrible at it, so I know. <laughs> you know, especially when we're talking about things like doctrine. Right? That's a scary thing to talk about, to be vulnerable, be like, I don't know if I really believe this. Or to talk about things that affect the church, right? To recognize like, oh, I don't have a heart for fellowship. That's a very vulnerable thing to say. Yeah. But John leaves us with this promise. He says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You know, vulnerability is scary, and it is difficult. But it's an opportunity for us to deepen convictions and engage in fellowship. Amen. Church, let us be people that walk in the light, people who are vulnerable, who are clear. Amen, church.